0: Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus. It's the third book in your Bible. And we're going to be looking at chapter 6, starting in chapter 6, verse 8. And we'll be going all the way to chapter 7, verses 38. So far, as you're turning in your Bible, so far we've been spent the last five weeks looking at the five sacrifices instituted by God in the opening chapters of Leviticus. And then we've learned about the five sacrifices, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. And this morning, we have one more section to cover before we turn to chapters 8 and 9. And so in these two chapters here, 6 and 7 is, is kind of like a transitional uh, time in which before we recap the various offerings and before we go into the anointing of, of Aaron and the priesthood. And so, if you are looking at the beginning of the passage, you will see in the ESV says the heading of verse eight. It says the priests and their offerings. And so, this morning the orient you thus far is before this was about what the Israelites were to bring. But this morning we're going to focus in on the priests and their role in leading them through worship. And so, uh, as you've turned and look in your bulletins, you probably see that there is a large uh, section of scripture. Uh, and is it our tradition that we will read? the entirety of God's Word. And I do believe that it's beneficial not only to read large portions, but also to hear it. And so this morning I will read. And so if you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's holy and inspired Word. Leviticus 6, 8. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment, and put on his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar, and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on the outer garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it and shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continuously. It shall not go out. And this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord in front of the altar, and one shall take from it a handful of fine flour on the grain offering, and its oil and all the frankincense that is on the grain offering, and burn this as it a memorial portion on the altar, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the rest of it, Aaron and his sons shall eat it, shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place. In the court of the tent and meeting they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion for my food offerings. It is the thing most holy. Like the sin offering and the guilt offering, every male among the children of Aaron may eat of it, as decreed forever throughout your generations, from the Lord's food offerings. Whatever touches them shall become holy. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the offering that Aaron and his son shall offer to the Lord on the day when he was anointed a tenth of the ephra fine flour as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it in the evening. It shall be made with oil on a griddle, and you shall bring it well mixed and baked in pieces like the grain offering, an offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The priest from among Aaron's sons who is anointed to succeed him shall offer to the Lord as a decree forever. The whole of it should be burned, every grain offering, Of a priest shall be wholly burned, it shall not be eaten. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. It's the place where the burnt offering is killed, and shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord? It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten, in the court of the tent of meeting. Whatever touches its flesh shall be holy, and when any of its blood is splashed on a garment, you shall wash. That on it it was splashed in a holy place. And the unearthened vessel in which it was bo- boiled shall be broken. But if it's boiled as bronze vessel, that shall be scorched and rinsed with water. Every male among his priests may eat of it. It is most holy. But no sin offering shall be eaten from which any blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. It shall be burned up with fire. This is the law of the guilt offering. Is almost is most holy, in the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the guilt offering, and the blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar, and its fat should be offered, the fat tail and the fat of the covers, the entrails, the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that shall be removed with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The guilt offering is just the sin offering. There is one more law for them. The priest who makes atonement with them shall have it, and the priest who offers the man's burnt offering shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering that has been offered and that he has offered. And every grain offering baked in the oven and that is prepared on a pan or griddle shall belong to the priest who offers it. And every grain offering mixed with oil or dry shall be shared equally amongst all the sons of Aaron. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for our thanksgiving, then he shall offer with thanksgiving the sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of the peace offerings for thanksgiving he shall bring his offering with loaves of, un- of leavened bread, and from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. And it shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offering, and the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings, for the thanksgiving shall be eaten of the day of his offering." He shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a freewill offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice, and on the next day whatever remains shall be eaten. But what remains of the flesh of the sacrament on the third day shall be burned up with fire. If any of the f- flesh of the sacrifice of his pre- peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall be not be accepted, and neither shall be credit to him. It is tainted, and he who eats of it shall bear his iniquity. Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten, shall be burned up with fire, and all who are clean may eat flesh. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offering, while an uncleanliness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. And if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether human uncleanliness or the unclean beast or any unclean distable to stable creatures and then eat some flesh from the sacrifice of the lord's peace offerings that person shall be cut off from his people the lord spoke to moses saying speak to the people of israel saying you shall eat no fat or oxen or sheep or goat the fat of an animal that dies on itself and the fat of one that is torn by beasts may be put to any may be put to any other use but on no account should you eat it for every person who eats of the fat of an animal which of food offering may be able to be made. The Lord will be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall not eat. You shall eat no blood, whatever, whether of fowl or animal, in any other your dwelling place. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever offers the sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from his sacrifice of his peace offerings." His own hand shall bring the Lord's food offering. He shall bring of the fat with the, with the breast, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest, and as a con- contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings, and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion." For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron and the peace that his sons as a perpetual due for the people of Israel. This is the portion of Aaron and of his sons from the Lord's food offering. From the day they were persuaded to, presented to serve as priests for the Lord, the Lord commanded that this be given to them by the people of Israel. From that day... That he be anointed them it is a perpetual due throughout their generations this is the law of the burnt offering of the grain offering of the sin offering and of the guilt offering of the ordination of offering and of the peace offering which the lord commanded moses on mount sinai on the day that he commanded the people of israel bring their offerings to the lord in the wilderness of sinai the word of the lord Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, We continue as we continue our study of Leviticus, I pray that you'll continue to provide a more profound realization of how we are to depend upon your grace and your mercy. I pray that you will use me this morning as you see fit as I continue to proclaim the good news of the gospel. I pray that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged. You'll convict us where we need to be convicted. But I pray too, Lord, that we be comforted where we need to be comforted as well. So help us to continue to focus in on this very difficult passage, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Kelly and I love to go to musicals. Uh, it's one of our favorite things. Back when I had lots of hair and we had no kids, we went on a more frequent basis, and um, we would go down to Omaha and take in a great show. One of my favorite shows that we had, uh, went to, was The Lion King. And if you've ever been to The Lion King or seen the Disney movie, you know that the opening scene was with great uh, enthusiasm and excitement. In the show, as we sat in the seats, there's people coming down the aisles, dressed like elephants and giraffes and birds, singing and dancing. It was quite the spectacle and you felt just being in your seat that you were part of the Savannah and you were waiting for baby Simba to be announced. It was great times. From the beginning as you watched the actors and you listened to the musicians, you were taken in and you know this, a spectacular performance cannot be achieved without practice and attention to detail. Great musicians and actors spend hours studying and rehearsing the words that they are to perform and the notes that they need to be played on that particular particular show. And just as in order to do so, they capture what the author has desired in their performance. In the same way, just as no orchestra can give its best without a competent conductor or, or controller, meticulous rehearsal, no congregation will likely worship our holy God without detailed direction by a well-instructed minister. In Leviticus 6 and 7, we read about the role of the priest in helping the people to worship God in the specific way that he has instructed them. And in doing so, the priest brought a person closer to God. It was one of the priest's great honors, but it did not come without great responsibility. You see, care and attention to detail are indispensable to divine worship. Our gracious Lord instructs us on how to worship Him properly. So this morning, we're going to break down the offerings again and put them into sections. We'll talk about proper worship with a burnt offering and the grain offering. We'll also talk about proper worship purification and reparations offerings, and then proper worship for our fellowship offerings this morning. So before we jump in, so we're going to unpack them a little bit more and kind of give us a recap of what we've done over the first five weeks. So before we jump in, one of the things that you may have noticed, and it's a kind of a big deal, is the difference in the order between what Chris has talked about the first five weeks and the second order that we described this morning. Over the first six weeks, Chris has done a wonderful job of walking us through the first five. And these first five have an understanding and an order by which they are pronounced. There's actually a theological understanding as to these five. First, we are to be reconciled to God. Atonement made in the burnt offering, which is foundational. And then we dedicate ourselves to God in gratitude for His grace through the grain offering. Then we enjoy fellowship with Him and with others through the peace offering. But this fellowship can be broken by continued sin, and so then there's a sin offering. And some sins are more heinous than others, and it can be forgotten, it can more than forgiven by words, and so some of us need to make restitution. And that's what the guilt offering is for. And then to show you bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. So that's the first five. It makes logical sense. But the first, as we talk about today, however, this is different. And one scholar has mentioned that the change is based upon the frequency by which a priest would undergo the various sacraments. The burnt offering was the most foundational and most consistent. The grain offering was offered in a combination with the burnt offering in gratitude for the grace that you just received in the burnt offering. Then there were certain occasions where you would make the sin offering, and less frequently because it involved financial restitution. Then there would be the guilt offering, and then the peace offering, which was essentially a voluntary contribution from your heart with thanksgiving. And so that's why it's probably of the last in many ways, what we just got to here is a job description for the priest, starting at the top, working to what you would do least amount. Very much for what you have as a job that you would get. Now, so let's look at the burnt offering this morning, which is the most frequently offered. If we go back to verses 8 and 9, which I just read, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron and his sons, saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar all day and all until morning. And the first of the altar shall be kept burning. Now, over the last three years, I've gotten to know some of you um, as that you love to go camping, and I know some of you have fire pits in your backyards, and you love to be sit out by a fire, and you're mesmerized by as the flames go up and the different colors, the heat, the fellowship that happens around a fire. For you trail life boys and girls, or American Heritage girls, there's great joy in going out and having a great fire. It's a great time to do. I love camping in that way. Watch, you know, fire is very relaxing and mesmerizing. But in order to have a fire, you need to have three things. You need to have fuel, you need to have oxygen, and you need to have heat. Otherwise, your fire will go out. So these three components are needed in order to maintain the fire going at all times that God has instructed. Now, the command from God to the priest to maintain a fire is foundational to their job and to their work. Within th- four verses, it is mentioned three times. Three times it is mentioned to keep the fire burning. It was the priest's duty to keep it lit with the carcass of the burnt offering smoldering away on top of it. It was of another form of fuel. The law focuses on the most challenging part of the task to keep the fire going all day and all night. Now, you may be asking yourself, why is this such a big deal? Because I was wondering the same thing. Why is it so important that we have a fire going constantly? Because the big idea of a continual fire is to communicate to the people of Israel that every moment of every day is when we need our sins to be forgiven. Every moment of every day is a moment when we need atonement before the Lord. We are never beyond our need of God's grace No matter how faithful you think you were this past week, no matter how good you were in relating to your spouse or to your kids, to your neighbor or co-worker, we are all still in the need of God's grace. Can you imagine if you were back in the Israelite camp and you were sleeping and your spouse was snoring on some awful evening, you got up, get outside the camp, or perhaps you had to use the restroom, and you got out to the camp You were reminded, even in the wee hours of the evening, of the flame that is ablaze of our need of God's grace. At all times, we need to be forgiven. We are born guilty and sinful, and that's why we need God's grace. You see, we are never grace graduates. We're born guilty and sinful, and that's why we need God's grace today as much as the day as we first believed. And while the fire continuing to go is a reminder of our sins, there's also a reminder that there is provision for us. While we are in need of God's grace every day, we are never beyond the reach of God's grace. As bad as you may think you are, there is grace for you. This fire spoke of God's presence amongst His people and represented their continual need for atonement and posture of continued dependence upon the Lord. Something else to consider, as I mentioned before, fire needs oxygen, it needs fuel, and it needs heat. God determined the requirement for the fire to remain aglow at all times. But God, who created the heavens and the earth, was the one that provides oxygen for the fire. It was God who provided heat. If we will learn in Leviticus 9.24, He actually provides the very first burnt offering through a fire. But God not only created the standard of the law, for the fire to go up but he also provides the providence to provide the f- the fuel to keep it going. You see God never lowers his standard for what he expects from his holy people from his people. By his grace though he provides the very sacrifice needed to atone for our sinfulness. We don't see God lowering the standard when considering the gospel message of how our sin has separated us from God. Instead, what we see is that God provided the perfect sacrifice, His Son. The only way that we could be made right was through God was through grace in Christ Jesus that He says that we were given before the beginning of time. Jesus fully, completely satisfied the Father's anger so that you and I will never face the penalty of our sins. We do not have to live in fear of God's anger or disappointment and even as I said to you before, even on your most rebellious days or your faithless days, we can run into the presence of our holy God who has sanctified us through Jesus Christ. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. You've been welcomed into an eternal relationship with God because we, not because we have kept the law, but because of what Christ has done. God provided the sacrifices needed to cleanse us from our sins. God created the means for the sacrifices to grow and develop. God provided the pure, spotless sacrifices. And in the presence of an ever-burning altar, we are reminded of our sins. But more than that, we are reminded of God's grace. We are a people who need to be saved by grace. and We praise God because of what He has done for Jesus Christ on our behalf. And if you don't remember, the reason that the burnt offering and the grain offering are so often connected is because the grain offering was given in gratitude for the grace that we received. So it makes logical sense from Leviticus 6 and 7, we'll combine the two. You've just been atoned for your sins, and now you give a grain offering in response to the grace that was given. If you look at verse 14, it says, and this is the law of the grain offering. If you remember, the burnt offering was burnt completely up entirely, But the grain offering had a part for the Lord and the part that the priests could eat. The grain offering was a source of food for the priests and a way the Israelites could bless them for their service. But more importantly, as I said before, it was to testify to the people that their sins had been truly forgiven. This is a celebration of sorts and there is joy and assurance in knowing that their sins are forgiven. The guilt and the shame that you may be carrying today is removed through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can run to the hymn knowing that that has been removed. Understanding our identity in Christ helps us to live holy and different lives. Now at verse 15, it also says, one shall take from it a handful of fine flour of the grain offering and its oil and all the frankincense that's on the grain offering and burn it as a memorial portion on the altar. So that's to the Lord on the altar as a pleasing aroma to the Lord for what is done. And not only was the grain offering a pleasing to the Lord, but in verse 16 it says, And the rest of it Aaron and his sons shall eat. They are to eat and unleaven in a holy place in the court of meeting. They shall eat it. Even the act of the priest eating in the holy place was to confirm the dedication of the sacrifices and the forgiveness of sins. We're reminded how God calls us to worship. Now, one last aspect of the grain offering that I need to point out in verse 19. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is an offering that Aaron said to his sons to offer to the Lord on the day when he was atoned. This is a special subset of the grain offering. Now, you may be, I don't want you to get confused. Still the grain offering, but it was a little bit different. Don't want you to think that there's a, another offering that I'm trying to tell you about or a sixth offering. This is a grain offering, but it was to be done by the priest Daily. Twice a day, because there's a remembrance or difference between this grain offering. Instead of eating this one that was done by the priest, it was to be offered but burned completely. The priest's twice a day presentation of the continual offering reminded them that while they differ in role and function than everybody else, they still were reminded of their need of God's grace. I think for spiritual leaders, there is a great temptation to think that they have great knowledge and insight, and they, they become somehow grace graduates, as I've mentioned before. But the reality is that we need to be reminded, as I say to this to myself, that I am never beyond the need of God's grace either. And, and for Chris and I, too, we, I ask that you continue to pray for us in that way, that we would, can be reminded of our identity in Christ and that we continue to walk in humility and of our need of God's grace. Even as we lead you, I ask that you pray for us. So as we consider the idea of proper worship of our burnt offering and the grain offering, what stands out to me is a reminder of our need of God's grace. How we are sinful, but how he does provide for us. To properly worship God as he is directed, we are reminded that we need to depend upon him constantly. Every day. And it's a great reminder that while well, Chris and I are different in role and function, that we are not beyond the need of God's grace for us as well. So proper worship has some stipulations. Now, in addition to the grain or to the burnt and to the grain offering, we now talk about purification and guilt offerings. Starting in verse 24, the description says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, his son, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. This offering clarifies which purification offering the priests may eat. So this becomes a bigger deal for the priests on things that they need to eat or can't eat or in a particular place and time. And how they are to handle the blood that is spilt properly. Verse 27, 28, we read that it should be done. If anything, the purifying blood goes astray. Since blood purifies the altar and other objects, it must not be spilled on other objects as well. And if it is, it must be washed off. If that is impossible, then these items must be destroyed. Can you imagine all the animals that are being sacrificed, and if it spills improperly, those types of garments or things need to be destroyed? It would be a very difficult task. As we can see from verses 24 to 7.1, the purification offered had to be slaughtered in a holy place, specifically on the north part of the altar. We also see that this holy offering meant that the meat and the blood had to be treated very carefully with great care. And after the fat had been removed and burned, the remaining meat may be eaten in a holy place by a holy people. The proper conduct regarding the blood of the animal was a big deal to God, and it's a big deal for us as we worship. A failure to properly handle the blood in the specific worship time would also not lead them into proper worship. So what kind of implications does that have for us? So we we had the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, and now in verse 7, or chapters, verse 1 of 7, we have with the guilt offering. In these first two verses, it's related to two objects, the fat and the blood. And in these places, they were to kill the burnt offering, It shall kill the guilt offering and the blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar. The fat tail and the covers, the entrails. So again, as we reminded, I think Chris told us a couple weeks ago, why the fat? What's the big deal about offering the fat to the Lord? And the reality is the fat was the best portion of the animal. It belongs to the Lord. It was considered the choicest or the richest part to offer to the Lord God. As men and women who have faith, we have been saved by grace through faith. We are called to live in response to the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ requires that we give the best to the Lord. So as faithful disciples, we should never calculate how little we can give to God, but instead we should be asking, what more can we give in response? I was challenged by another pastor this week to ask the very question, does God get our best? Does God get your best? Are we the type of people, or are you the type of people that give your best to the Lord, or are you a minimalist in regards to your relationship with the Lord? Here's what he meant by a minimalist. Are you the type of person who looks at obedience as the very minimal of things that I can do and get as close as I can to sin? Am I my minimalist in my church attendance? Am I a minimalist in sharing the gospel? Am I a minimalist in sharing in tithing or serving or pursuing holiness? Do you ever ask yourself the question, what is the smallest sacrifice that I can make before the Lord and still go to heaven? That's a minimalist mindset. Now I back. Years and years ago, many years ago, I attended a small private Christian university. And part of the requirement at our time there, you had to earn 48 of the possible 80 chapel credits. And since it was back in the day before cell phones and computers were regulated to labs and dorms in the library, there's no way that you could look up your balance. And so what guys in the hall would do, especially the men in Cullen Brander Hall, would do is they would map out how to get their 48 credits and to get right there as much as they possibly can. And so they would figure it out. And the moment that they hit their 48 credits, they would stop. They'd stop going to chapel. They'd stop learning. They'd stop growing. Stop worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ because they wanted to do the absolute bare minimum. And I asked the question, how many of us are the same way? Do you give God your best? Now, please don't get me wrong. As I mentioned before, we do not go to heaven based upon the fact that we make the greatest sacrifice. We don't go to heaven because we've earned enough chapel credits and that we were perfect in our attendance. You don't go to heaven because you win every youth game that I put out there, right? That's not how you go to heaven. But I have to wonder, how is your heart? As you process your own heart, are you a minimalist? Or do you strive to give God the Lord the best? Do we understand, if we are minimalist, do we understand grace? Grace doesn't make it okay for us to live for ourselves. In fact, grace frees us to live and to experience the joy of living for one greater than ourselves. You see, grace frees us from trying to strive to enhance the little kingdom of self and live for the greater kingdom of God. Grace frees us to offer the choicest, fattest portion of what we have for Him. Now, in addition to the fat, there's the blood. And there's this issue and this paradox between what blood is, is both a good and bad. On one hand, blood is considered to be holy. As you read it, as I read through this passage, it's considered holy if it touches certain parts of your body. Blood lives life. However, blood spattered on a priestly garment, it needed to be cleaned. And if it was ate improperly, it would also defile you. Blood brings both cursing and blessing. And so the idea of blessing and cursing, I hope, as we consider the cross, it would lead us to consider the cross the curse that it brought upon Christ, but also the blessing that the blood shed for us covers. As priests for the people of Israel that were going, that leading us through the sin offering, the guilt we offering, we're reminded that not simply going through the motions, but there is great preparation that needed to happen. And then are we offering the Lord our best? Last but not least, we finally turn to chapter 7. We look at verses 11 through 38. This is a large section on our fellowship offerings. And it talks about the three different types of offerings that you can offer. We have a fellowship offering. We have a vow offering and then a, a peace offering as well. Or free will offering, sorry. Now, largely voluntary. These types of sacrifices were again, largely voluntary. The offered is an extra commitment, is an act of extravagant generosity. You're feeling extra thankful, you bring a peace offering. You want to vow and promise that was sealed by the Lord, you come and bring a peace offering. The sacrifice was made to the priest and celebrating in a meal together is what you would do. As I said from the beginning, the order of these sacrifices in, verse six in or chapter 6 and 7 is likely based upon the frequency of the offering. But the order also tells us something about the pivotal importance of the peace offering. You see, the result of forgiveness and atonement is communion with others and sharing in that joy. One of the greatest parts of the great places are uh, enjoyment about being a pastor, but one of the things I love to hear is how the Lord is working in your heart doing a meal or doing coffee with you, I get to celebrate and joy in the celebration of you recognizing the growth and the grace that the Lord is doing in your heart. In many ways, it is a fellowship offering where we get to celebrate what the Lord has done for us together. However, there is a requirement for us to adhere to these regulations. And if you fail to do that, it could require to be cut off from the people. As you read in Leviticus 7, the penalty for eating the meat of the fellowship offering in a ritually impure state was to be cut off from the people of Israel. And that's a pretty severe penalty for not adhering to that. And so there is this idea, even here amongst the priests, that they cannot be lackadaisical when it comes to a fellowship offering. And since the Israelites could eat portions of their fellowship offerings, they only need to bring a part to present to the Lord aside from the fat and blood, their parts were to bring was the breast offering and the thigh of the animal. Now many times the Israelites would provide a contribution to the priests. These foods to give to the Israelites were given to the Lord, would then give to the priests and their families. And it's in this case is the right thigh of the fellowship offering, as the thigh was considered a very special portion of the animal. The Israelites' view the right side of the body is especially important. The right thigh was undoubtedly particularly valuable as well. It belonged to the officiating priest and his family. Like a contribution way offering, a wave offering was also considered, consistent of various food items that the Israelites gave to the tabernacle and the priests. These items were waved before the Lord in the ritual action, indicating that they belonged and were dedicated to them. In fact, they would offer a great portion of the breast of the animal. The provision that we, the Israelites gave to the priests that led the people in worship allowed them to continue to provide, to teach, and help them as they shepherd the people. If the needs of the shepherds were not meet, they were not well cared for the sheep as well. It's in this case that the Lord commands that some of the very best portions be given to the priest. That they had taught the Israelites to honor those who lead them in worship. If the Lord honored the priests by assigning them the best cuts of meat, the Israelites would also honor them. When the priests had their official physical meats in that, they were freed from focus on leading the people in proper worship with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me finish with this. J.S. Stewart says To bring a person closer to God is one of the greatest, the highest service that one can render to another let me repeat that again to bring a person closer to god is the highest service that one can render to another but with the privilege also came great danger part of the danger was then inevitably as the priesthood went so the people went and this is true of the church today as the pulpit goes so goes the people I can only imagine if you were a priest and the mundaneness and all the rules and regulations that you had to endure. Killing animals day in and day out. Where can I eat this? Where can I not eat this? What do I have to do? And it become very mundane. And as we can see throughout the rest of the story of, of history, we see that the priests were not always faithful. And it's a reminder that day after day, even the splashing of the blood and the cleaning of the things They too needed God's grace. They needed direction and they needed hope. These chapters are addressed to the priests of ancient Israel who led and conducted the services and carried out the sacrifices. And though the blood of the sacrifice has been made obsolete under the new covenant of Christ's death, we still find that the church is guided into a correct and appropriate way in how we are called to worship. As we come to worship on Sundays, it's important for us to pay careful attention how we approach the throne of God. Are we coming with dependence upon Him in awe and reverence and gratitude for what Christ has done? Are we reminded of our need of grace? It is my hope that you are reminded of your need of grace, but as you lead, it is my hope and prayer that you are reminded of God's grace as well, that the atonement has been made on your behalf that you've been fed and strengthened and encouraged by God's grace to go and to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel as you lead these doors. As Hebrews 12, 28 says, let us offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let us come and worship with hearts that remember our need of grace and the beautiful reminder that Christ is our great high priest that he has secured our atonement and that no sacrifices would ever be needed again. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this morning. These passages in Leviticus seem outdated to us, but Lord, there's many ways that we are reminded as we come to worship in the need for dedication to properly worship you in awe and reverence for what you've done on our behalf. So, Lord, as we are about to engage in a fellowship meal together, as we celebrate and recall the grace that you've given to us, may this be a time of great joy and celebration, of a time of encouragement as we recall what you've done for us and the grace that you've given to us. We pray this all in your name. Amen.